0: your scripture and turn to John chapter 4. And as you turn there, just a, a reminder on the Lord's prayer that it is a wonderful pattern for prayer. He gave it to us as a, a way to help us pray. Those words have no magic ability, but certainly through that pattern of prayer we learn how to pray perfectly to our father in heaven. I'm going to be looking at chapter 4 this week in John's gospel. Psychiatrists call it the Paris effect, the Paris effect. It simply means the disappointment many first time visitors to Paris experience after the hyped expectations. In an article in the Wall Street Journal uh, this year, they write, it was Dr. Hariko Oda, a Japanese psychiatrist working in France who first identified this syndrome. And it often affects women who arrive in Paris expecting this affluent friendly European capital that's filled with slim, beautiful Parisians walking around smelling of Chanel. (laughs) The article went on to note that many Japanese and now Chinese tourists expect a place full of romance and beauty and wealth. Instead, they find pavements that are peppered with cigarette butts and aggravated commuters jam-packed on the metro. The Paris effect symptoms include irritability, fear, insomnia, and in some extreme cases, people actually get depressed. They fall into depression. In other words, the Paris effect is the result of of high expectations not met. Of putting your weight, of your happiness into something that just doesn't deliver. It is a desire for some deep satisfaction that is not met. C.H. Spurgeon wrote, Spiritual things, when God has raised a desire, he always gratifies it. Hence, the longing is prophetic of the blessing. Hence, the longing is prophetic of the blessing. In no case is the desire of living the living thing excited to produce distress, but in order that we may seek and find satisfaction. In other words, when God gives us a desire, it is not so that we can live in frustration and dissatisfaction, but that lack drives us to turn to him. In our text today, we're going to experience... Three longings, three desires that God has put in us so that we will turn to him and find satisfaction. Look with me at verse 1 in chapter 4. It says, The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, though in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. When the Lord learned this, he left Judea and went back once more into Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground where Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it was that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living waters. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself as did his sons and his flocks and his herds? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him, will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't be thirsty and have to come here and draw water. He told her, Go and call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. In fact... You have five husbands, and the man you are having right now is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain, nor in Jerusalem. The Samaritans worship what they do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit, and in truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I am who speaks to you. The first and most obvious longing we see in this text is thirst. That's what it starts out with, that's the context in this story. Food and water are basic to existence. And if if we had read on, we see that the the disciples had gone into town to get food to bring back. Food and water are basic to our existence. Everything, And, and, and when those things are not in your life, when those things are lacking, everything else becomes secondary. Do you realize that? When food and water are not there, everything else becomes secondary instantly. And our anxiety skyrockets. Our worry takes over. Perhaps that's why Jesus, when he was talking to the the crowds in the Sermon on the Mount, used food and water as the example. In chapter 6, verses 25, he said, Do not worry about what you will eat or what you will drink. He then probably referenced the birds that were around them and said, look at the birds, they, they don't sow or they don't reap, but their God and Father takes care of them. How much more precious are you to God? Don't worry. When we don't have the basics of food and water, what happens is our security is jeopardized. Our security is put on the chopping block. And this Samaritan woman comes to a well to get water around noon, the sixth hour. And Jesus uses this context of thirst to identify the first Paris effect in our own lives. That is security satisfaction. Security satisfaction. Jesus asks for a drink, and the woman says, Oh, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. What are you doing even talking to me, referencing the, the huge schism that happened some 700 or 800 years previous between the North and the South? The North was taken away into exile and transplants were brought in for the remainder and they interbred. And so the, the, the Southern Jews in Judea saw them as half-breeds, not even part of the chosen people anymore and, and hated the Samaritans, disparaged them. And so she's shocked that this man, this Jewish man, is even talking to her. And Jesus talks to her about this living water, which, which confuses her. I mean, she, she doesn't even kind of catch that term the first time. And then he makes this intriguing statement In verses 13 and 14, he says, Everyone who drinks this water, probably referencing the well right here, everyone who drinks this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. What Jesus is saying here is, you're coming to satisfy your physical thirst. But what you don't realize is you have a thirst that is spiritual, that this will never satisfy. That longing for thirst, that drive to come and get water is given to you so that you will eventually turn to Christ, the living water. That longing is pointing to a deeper one. Leon Morris in his commentary says, that's the nature of water. There is nothing in it that even raises the possibility of permanent quenching. The water she has drawn previously, the day before, is exhausted. She had drunk it and now is thirsty again. There is no permanent satisfaction. And that's the point that Jesus is getting to. That's true when we try and satisfy our longing for security in anything else other than Jesus Christ. It just doesn't satisfy. We will continually experience the Paris effect. High hopes, missed expectations. High hopes that this will satisfy, missed expectations. High hopes that this will give us security, missed expectations. Nicky Gumbel, in his uh, Alpha Talks, talks about a Japanese woman he once talked to. And he said this, When he talked to her, the woman said, in Japan, they need to eat rice. It's like, we've got two stomachs, she says. I've got one stomach for ordinary food, for meat and potatoes and vegetables and fruits. And the second stomach is for rice. And no matter how much meat and potatoes and vegetables we eat, it never satisfies until we eat the rice. If your security is not in Jesus Christ, you will always be thirsty. Your second stomach will never be full. And you'll be searching for things that fill it, filling that security need that you that, that, that will never be able to fill it. Through life, there are many ways that we try and fill that security need. I'd like to take just three as we travel through life. There's three M's that we try to fill that security need that always produce the Paris effect. When you're young, that M is mommy. When you're young, it's your parents. Kids, here's where you are. You are looking, you are depending on your parents for security. And when we look to anybody other than Christ for that, ultimately, it will fail. Kids, it is good that you look to your parents for security. It is good and proper and right. But what growing up means, kids, spiritually, is that you more and more are looking to Christ for that security and less and less to mommy and daddy. And parents, your job with your kids, one of your jobs is to transfer that security and trust that, that your, your kids are giving you on to Jesus Christ. That is your, one of your primary jobs. Less of you, more of Christ. In middle age, there's a, th- a second M. Early life, it's mommy and daddy. Middle, the predominant one that we seek security in is money. That's where we seek our security. We look for money to fill that second stomach. And this is just so prevalent in our hearts that Jesus spends a great deal of time, if you read the New Testament, if you read the Gospels, a great deal of time talking about money. Because he knows that's where we go for a long time in our life. He talks about this in Luke 12 in the parable of the man building the barn. Do you remember that parable? Man had a good harvest and he wants to build a bigger barn so that he can house this, this bumper crop. And. And he, so that he can, as he says, continue to eat and drink and be merry. What he's looking for are those barns full for the security for his life. And Jesus says that man is foolish. Why? Because what he doesn't know, what that man doesn't know, is that his life will be required of him this very night. Do you know what Jesus is teaching us through that parable? He says, this is how it will be for anyone who stores up things for himself on earth and is not rich towards God. Jesus is teaching the Paris effect right there. He's saying how ultimately unsatisfying money is. And yet we read this, you hear it preached, and you go out those doors, and we don't live it. We go back to, what do I have that will give me security? What, where's my bank account? We think that money can give us that satisfaction, that security, that only God can. That second stomach remains empty. If we need a yet another example of this, one of the more recent examples is uh, the owner of uh, Mojang, who invented the worldwide sensation of Minecraft. If you have kids, you know what Minecraft is. If you don't have kids or grandkids or not in contact with them, it's a, it's a game that has pretty much taken over the world. Every kid wants to play Minecraft. And in 2014, Microsoft saw that and paid $2.5 billion to buy his company. And Mark Persons instantly became a billionaire. Instantly got all the money he could possibly spend. Thus, you would think, total security, total satisfaction. That's why he did this, right? So that he could get there. Yet on the late night of August 29, 2015, persons showed the Paris effect in action in his life. He, did, he tweeted a series of tweets, and I want to read them to you. a.m., the problem with getting everything is you run out of reasons to keep trying. And human interaction becomes impossible due to imbalance. 4.50 a.m., found a great girl, but she's afraid of my life and my lifestyle and went with a normal person instead. 4.52 a.m., it's two minutes later. When we sold the company, the biggest effort was into making sure the, the employees got taken care of, and now they all hate me. One minute later, 4.53 a.m., hanging out in Ibiza with a bunch of friends and partying with famous people, able to do whatever I want, and I've never felt more isolated. We see this Paris effect where we, we go towards money for that security, that, that deep desire that we have for security, and it's constantly, we're, we see it in action how it's empty, and yet we keep going after it. Why is that? Mark Persson's physical thirst for security was totally quenched with that buyout and yet he still felt thirsty. Mommy, money, and in our later years, medicine. (laughs) As our bodies begin to fail, and our insecurity of health begins to creep in, we can't do the things we once were able to do. I won't use my wife as an example this week. And we find that our bodies begin to fall apart. And the great swing in the last few decades is meds. Meds. Just take meds. That'll help. That'll give, you, give it all back to you. Now, there's nothing wrong with medicine. It's something that God has actually given to us providentially. But when we begin to put our hope and our security in the medicine that we give, we are given... The Paris effect is absolutely inevitable in our lives. They will disappoint. There's only so much medicine can do. By and large, when I go to a hospital, I don't have much to offer, so to speak, in the way of security. I can't heal the person. However much I truly want to, I wish I could. I wish God would give me the ability to put my hands on people and heal them. I don't have that ability. I don't have the ability to change someone's mood miraculously when I go to the hospital. I can't help them physically. I can't. But the one thing I can do is remind people where their real security is. That's what I can bring. That's what I can remind people that when the security in their felt health has failed them, when they're in this Paris effect of fear and depression, I can give them hope beyond. Not in the upcoming operation or new drug. But in Jesus Christ, their good shepherd, that's why Psalm 23 is so wonderful. Their high tower, that's why the Psalms are replete with that. They're the rock of their salvation. That's why you read the Psalms. Because it reminds us to replace our security somewhere else. The second Paris effect we see is found in verses 15 through 18. 18. In verses 15 through 18, the woman says, Wow, this is great living water. Give me this water so I won't be thirsty and have to come and keep coming back here. And Jesus says, Go call your husband and come back. And then through the interaction, we find out that this woman doesn't have just one husband. She has, she has had five husbands, and she's with a man now who is not her husband. You see, there's a desire to love and be loved. That's the second satisfaction that we need. Love satisfaction. It's deep in us. We have a deep desire to be loved and to love someone else. But if we try and satisfy that desire for love with anybody or anything other than Jesus Christ, you will always and inevitably experience the Paris effect. This is put in exhibit by the fact that the woman has had five husbands and is now on the verge of the sixth. And she was trying to find something. She was trying to fill that void, that second stomach, with the love of a man. And over and over and over again, it wasn't met. Joyce Carol Oates, the American novelist, and her husband Raymond Smith, also a writer met while attending graduate school in 1960. They got married and they spent 47 happy years together. In 2008, her husband went into the hospital with pneumonia and it took his life so quickly that she didn't even have a chance to see him in the hospital while he was alive. In her memoir, which she wrote, A Widow's Story, Oates describes how she went through her husband's things following his death and discovered an unfinished novel in his notes, she found out that before they met, he was in a hospital and met and fell in love with another woman in that hospital. To Oates' surprise, she also discovered that a psychiatrist had diagnosed her husband as, quote, love-starved. She was shocked when she, wrote that, when she read that. Oates later wrote in the memoir, it should not have filled me with unease to learn this after Ray's death and so many years after it happened, but he hadn't told me. It was his secret. He'd been love-starved. That's a pretty accurate depression uh, description of each one of us. God has put in us a deep Desire to love and to be loved. A deep hunger, a craving. And we look long and hard and deep to satisfy that love with someone, don't we? That's what Jesus is highlighting in this woman's life. That's what Jesus is highlighting for us to see. When we place the weight of the love that only God can supply on someone else, it will break. Let me say that again. When we place the need for love that only God can supply on anybody else, that weight will crush that person. if you seek that deep, satisfying, enduring love with a best friend, it will be unmet. If you seek that deep, satisfying, longing, craving to be loved from a girlfriend or a boyfriend, it will be unmet. And by the way, teens, if you're you're dating, that's why you get crushed when your boyfriend or girlfriend breaks up with you. Because what you have done is you put on them the weight of the love that only God can supply. And by the way, in a marriage that can happen. We can put on our spouse the expectation of love that only God can meet. And when that person doesn't meet that, you really do experience the Paris effect. Fear, anger, irritability, depression. We talked at our, at our discovery group just last week or the week before about something about this. I can't remember specifically. But I remember one person in the discovery group said that, oh, it was the question, you know, what would send you into a tailspin if it were taken away? And one person said, my spouse. And in a way, that's true. We should be that attached to our spouse. But in a way... If it sends you into an unrecoverable tailspin, you have placed on your spouse the love, the need for love that only God can supply. It's right and appropriate to mourn that. But if, if it's unrecoverable, you have, you've placed what only God can give on that person. Oswald Chambers wrote, The man or woman who does not know God demands an infinite satisfaction from other human beings which they cannot give. It springs from one thing. The human heart must have satisfaction, but there's only one being who can satisfy that last abyss of the human heart, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And until you and until I realize that, that only Jesus can can fill that second stomach of love that we desire. We'll always be love-starved. Always. And you'll always be experiencing the Paris effect. High expectations, low met. But Jesus does show us over and over again how much he loves us, doesn't he? That's the beauty of the gospel. He shows us over and over again. So let me give you some food for thought on this. Jesus shows us his love by saying, I'll be right over. I'll be right over. You know how I know my mentor, Carl Bergman, loves me? Because when I call him and I'm I'm deep in it, when I'm when I'm shattered in some way, and I call him and say, carl and he hears my voice you know what he says i'll be right over from from orono i'll be right over that's how i know carl loves me and you know how you know god loves you somebody here prayed about it earlier today that's exactly what jesus said in the incarnation in the advent i'm coming i'll be right there and he came You know how else we know God loves us? He shows us by saying, I'll do it. I'll do it. You know how you know someone loves you? It's not by their words. Anybody can say, I love you. It's by what they do. It's by serving. It's by serving. If you love, you serve. It's one of the greatest misconceptions about marriage. It's not about you. (laughs) It's not about you. It's about the other person. And you know what Jesus said? He said to each one of us, I'll do it. He came and he lived the life we couldn't. He lived the perfect life. He said, I'll do it. You stay there. And he served us. Somebody else prayed about that. That was the, the mission of Jesus. Jesus showed his love for us by saying another thing. Jesus says, I'm not leaving. You know you're loved when somebody says, I'm not leaving. You know how I knew my mom loved me? Well, many ways. But one way that was very, very tangible and concrete was when I broke my legs and I was in the bed for six, eight weeks. She sat by my bed. She said, I'm not leaving. I'm here. I'm with you. And you know what Jesus' last words were to us? I'll always be with you. I will never forsake you. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. That's how you know that Jesus loves you. Jesus showed his love by saying another thing. He said, I love you despite how you feel about me. (laughs) I love you despite what you say about me. Think of parents that have had the terrible, gut-wrenching experience of having a wayward child. A child that drifts off and maybe into alcohol or drugs. And nothing they're doing is saying they love them anymore. They're stealing from them. They're lying to them. And yet the parent still loves, despite the response. Romans 5 tells us, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were, Ephesians 2, while we were enemies, He came for us. While we had nothing good to say about Him, (laughs) He said, I'm coming. But ultimately, the way God shows us His love for us is not by what He says, but by what He does. And that's the cross. What Jesus says is, I love you so much, I'll take your place. You see, the spiritual truth is is that sin deserves death. That's the wages of sin is death. That's what the Bible says over and over again. But Jesus, showing his love for us, says, no, 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 not you die. I'll die. It's the greatest display of love anybody can give. Carol Oates finished her biography by saying, You don't realize how hungry you are until you begin to eat. People, you've just begun eating the gospel. Do you feel the hunger? Do you realize that your second stomach isn't full unless you're, you're drawing that security, satisfaction, that love satisfaction from Christ? And when you do, you'll begin to realize how hungry you really were. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your word. And I ask you, Heavenly Father, by your spirit to apply it to our hearts and our minds. Realize that we should not place our security and our love in anybody else's hands except you, Heavenly Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.